There are some who call me... Tim. The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is open. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Welcome back. This is the Outer Edge on the BSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott, and we are so happy to see you. And I'm happy to see Mike. Well, hey, how's I it mean, going? Kind of yeah, see. Well, I, yeah. yeah, well, not not literally see, but in your mind's enough. eye. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of personal. That's right. That's right. So it's 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 great to be back with another episode of the Outer Edge. And, and I tell you something, Mike. You know, last week we just had an excellent show. We had uh, um, Jenny Asford and uh, Steve Mara, and we were talking about the uh, uh, poltergeist incident, uh, the water poltergeist, right in uh, um, um, England. And I tell you something, it's just a, 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 a fascinating program. And, uh, you know, you just, and we pointed this out, you know, you don't hear a lot uh, from, uh, uh, from, from water poltergeist. I mean, I think a water poltergeist is even more rare than the fire ones. Yeah, it, it's a strange thing. And it, it seems to me like uh, one of the things we did kind of play with was the idea that Maybe some poltergeist are actually something else pretending to be poltergeist, especially when they have like an intelligent interaction with uh, with the people that they're attempting to victimize. So, well, you know, it seems like that, uh, and and th- this is something that Steve uh, pointed out that the longer a poltergeist persists, the more it starts to do. You know, till eventually you're getting to uh, to it uh, to like intelligent conversations, uh, apparitions, things like that. Uh, well, kind of like uh, so-called Jeff the mongoose, mm-hmm. oh, uh, which, yeah. which started out as poltergeist activity and ends up becoming a manifestation of a little humanoid mongoose creature that could talk and and do little deeds and and uh, torment people, and so yeah. You know, it, but it started out innocently with knocks and taps and and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, I, when I was doing uh, after, kind of after the fact of the show, I was doing a little research on uh, uh, the Walter Poltergeist, and I ran across um, an incident where the, this was a fire poltergeist. But at one point, Steve was talking about in the house how they looked up and they could see like like a sheen of water. Um, across the ceiling, that uh, uh, it, 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 he said it kind of like you know rippled and 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 moved 
almost in a uh, intelligent way. Well, there was a, uh, a fire poltergeist where the investigators at one point they looked up and the ceiling was covered in fire that moved in a way very similar to the way that Steve described uh, the this water. You know, right. almost like maybe it was electromagnetically charged or something like that. I just found right. that really interesting. Here you have two different elements, but both behaving in a very similar fashion. And both both tie in not only to uh, things from demonology, but also from folklore in terms of uh, undines, which would be a water spirit or elemental. And then the fire, of course, would be the salamander. Uh, mm-hmm. yes, ele- yes. Elemental, yeah. So, yeah, you have to wonder... If a lot of these things are not more than just uh, manifestations of a disturbed mind, hmm. well, is, isn't that salamander? Now, isn't that what the phoenix turned to after it burned itself up? Didn't it become like a salamander or something like that? Well, the, in, in hermetic tradition, you know, you have the, uh, the the four types of elementals. You have the the sylphs of the air, the gnomes of the earth. The, the salamanders of the fire, which are fire spirits, and the uh, the undines, which are the water spirits. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, I'm sure that the phoenix, it, it did burn up and become like a little worm, but I don't think that was the same thing. I was just trying to, yeah, you know, I, th- I think you're right. I just, you know, I just remember hearing, reading something not too long ago about a, about the connection with the phoenix and, and like a fire salamander. But right, there may, there, there may be some some other connection there too. So yeah, well, but na- naturally, I mean, uh, now that I'm trying to to bring that up out of my the vast crevices of my mind, it's it's not coming up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting uh, because tonight we have with us um, our guest is John Carlson, who uh, has a blog called the uh, Paranormalist, and uh, uh, he and uh, um, another person, and, and we'll bring we'll bring this other name up, had a very very interesting experience. Uh, last year in Oregon, and uh, it it may it may tie into this stuff that we're talking about. It may be something completely different. It's hard to say. I mean, and and they're not sure themselves. But uh, let's uh, let's bring John in to the conversation here, and uh, we can just uh, uh, find out about this experience. John, right. how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you, Tim? Hi, Mike. Hey, John. How are you guys doing? Good. We're doing fantastic. Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's for me. It's it's early Sunday or not Sunday. I'm already gone into uh, early Monday morning. Uh, Mike is still uh, a little bit into uh, 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 just a little bit left in Sunday. But I'm catching up. You're catching up. That's right. I'm time traveling. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, well, thanks so, for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You know, it's sure. it's it's really great, uh, and I appreciate that you're able to come on uh, with us tonight, John, to talk about um, talk about this incident that you have. But I want to get a little background information on you okay. first. Um, why don't you just uh, uh, tell our audience, uh, you know, uh, about yourself? Uh, you know, how you got interested, first of all, in you know the, <laughs> the 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 weird. weird and the wild, as I always call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how I became interested in it, it goes back as as long as I can recall. I remember from childhood, I always had an interest in this sort of thing. As a kid, I used to read uh, you know, Charles Berlitz and uh, 
uh, Eric Von Daniken and Brad Steiger, and, and I think uh, it comes from a couple of different places. Um, a lot has to do with my mother. Uh, she was given to, um, she, I guess, had uh, something of a gift, I guess. Uh, she, she would have very accurate precognitive dreams and premonitions. Um, she had a couple of experiences uh, that would <clears throat> probably be called supernatural. So I guess it, there's, some of this runs in the family a bit. I've had a few of these sorts of uh, experiences myself as a, as a child and then later uh, in my adolescence and then, uh, then again last year <laughs> after kind of a long lull. But yeah. uh, I think it's more my, my childhood experiences and some of those things uh, that I know that my, my mother uh, went through. Uh, which was kind of a mixed uh, blessing, I guess. It was. It was some. I'm sorry. That's my dog who wants to go out. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> that's her one. Uh, I'll send her out in the back. But so, yeah, my my mother used to have these very very accurate uh, dreams, which more often than not would come true. And I it always made me wonder about just the nature of reality. Is how does something like that happen? Right. And. And then, as I said, I had some uh, a series of pretty strange things happen to me as uh, in my childhood and adolescence. So, well, Led, we, as we as we get into uh, the, the 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 meat of your uh, your story last year, uh, we'll we'll then bring up uh, incidents that happened to you when you were, um, uh, I suppose, well, when you were a teenager in. With with similar experiences, but you know, yeah, we, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's that's. But I mean, we uh, we'll want to talk okay. first about you know what happened. Sure. Well, so, mm-hmm. uh, well, I was just uh, I was going to ask you real quick. Uh, um, now, uh, what what got you then into um, starting a, uh, a a web a web blog? I mean, you know, had you know, do you have aspirations of you know like uh, uh, writing a book or articles and just? I mean, I know it's the same way with me. I mean. You know, I uh, uh, did website uh, stuff a lot of times, and then did uh, start doing more articles and books. Yeah, I, I have thought about writing a book. I know I was uh, approached by one publisher that I got to know well. We, uh, I had a a uh, podcast briefly for about a year, year and a half, with a couple of other guys, and um, I we interviewed a lot of uh, this guy's. Uh, uh, Authors and got to know him, uh, Patrick Leish, through uh, who runs the Anomalous Books and Anomalous.com. So um, yeah, I talked to Patrick at one point about writing, and it's something I would like love to make some time for. It's just I haven't had had the chance. I'm self-employed, and that's that's uh, takes up a lot of my time. So right. Well, you're you're accumulating a lot of data. You know, yeah, it, it's yeah. all going into the into the stew pot of your you know in your right. mind. Yeah, but, which, which uh, is a good thing. Yeah, really. absolutely. Yeah, uh, a lot of my views have changed over the last year and a half since my my incident that I will talk about. But um, I, I had started a. I met a uh, made a friend who had a similar interest in the paranormal, and we started a podcast. This was about maybe about eight years ago, and we did that for as I said about a year, year and a half. Uh, then. 
kind of parted ways. He got a divorce and moved out of the area, and that was sort of the end of the podcast, sort of fell off. And it's pretty popular at the time when we had it going. But yeah. I had owned the domain name, and I retained it and decided I would start a blog. So I started to write um, around, I guess, around the end of 2008, 2009. Um, I started the it was called the Paranomalist, which it, it's still I, I own both the, both names. I have a lot of people who tend to say Paranormalist, and I finally was able to obtain that domain name. So I'm sort of re- in the process of rebranding it as the Paranormalist, just because right. people tend to to say Paranormalist instead of Paranomalist. So, right. um, but I continued to write, and I wrote about some of my own personal experiences. And I've always just been interested in collecting stories. I love to hear stories about people who've had these kind of strange experiences. So you know, I've I've had a few that have been told to me over the years, and I wrote about those. And I've then I started getting people contacting me with different stories, and I just enjoy writing about it. But it kind of fell by the wayside for a number of years. My father became very ill, and I was spending most of my time trying to take care of him and run my business, and it just uh, I I did not have the time to write, so I haven't written anything new on my blog in a while, but I'm in the process of doing my first new article since I rebooted the site recently, um, so I'm looking forward to getting back into it. I really miss writing. I enjoy it. And probably the more interesting thing about my blog are the comments that I've gotten on my blog, more more interesting than my, my stories themselves. I've gotten some <laughs> really, really interesting uh, people that have contacted me and said, "Well, oh, it's I'm so fa- glad I found your site. I've had a similar experience, and you know some of the stories on there on the in the comments section, and also in the uh, the pri- e- emails that I've received privately have, have been really really interesting. So, hmm. you know, I think well, probably the one that's most that I've gotten most of a response to is about a missing time episode that I had once, and which right. may tie in also to what happened <laughs> last year. Oh, okay. well, okay. Uh, well, now that's uh, uh, I'll, I'll have to ask you right now uh, okay. about that about that story because I'm always okay. I'm always fascinated by uh, uh, missing time uh, incidents. Um, that happened when I was in my. Early early adolescence, I was maybe 14 or 15, 14 and a half, and I was walking home from junior high school the same way that I walked home each and every day. And one day it just seemed, I don't know, unusually quiet. And I live in a, grew up in a, and still live, <laughs> in a very busy suburban town in northeastern New Jersey where it's outside of New York City, and it's not right. like, uh, it's not, and it was the time of the day after school. There were three local schools all getting out. There was kids walking home and the parents coming to pick up children at the local elementary school. And the time of the day, it was normally very busy, but for whatever reason, it just seemed very quiet, almost sort of muted. It was it was just felt odd. And as I was walking toward uh, this intersection that I crossed each and every day on the way home from school, it appeared almost as if, the um, the stores on the corner and the traffic light were just getting smaller, like receding into the distance as I walked toward them. And then I don't remember anything. And next thing I knew, I woke up 
in a different part of town, walk, still on my feet walking. Right. Um, and I was really disoriented. I didn't know how I got there. Uh, some amount of time elapsed, maybe half an hour to an hour. And my mother pulled up in her car right like within moments after I sort of came to. And she swung open the car door, and she leaned forward and said, John, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I don't know how I got here, and I'm really confused. And I said, how did you know that I was over here? I was, you know, wasn't in, my mother generally didn't pick me up from school unless it was really bad weather. Or you know, it was, This was the late 70s, so <laughs> people, yeah. parents didn't go out and pick up their kids. You know, if I, as long as I showed up for dinner, she didn't you know, work right. out where I was. Right. And and uh, and she said I was home, and a voice said to me, I, I heard a voice said, "Go get John. He needs you." And I just knew where you were. So somehow or other, my mother became involved in this, and I don't know if by who or what, guardian angel or yeah, that's or what it sounds like. Got me or <laughs> now, if if you look back. Did you make it any details much on those figures? The details on what? I'm sorry. What, whatever it was that you saw that was receding from you, what was it? Uh, it was uh, the actually the intersection. Uh, there's, you know, you know. Actually, as you walk towards things, they get larger. This was the oh. opposite ha- happening. So the whole the, the, area was receding from you. Yeah, yeah. The whole. So, the so whole, it's almost like you were being pulled yeah. into something or somewhere else. It was a really, really strange experience I never okay. had before or since. And so I did you ever have, I don't remember. I know that you Sorry. said you had some anomalous things happen. In terms, did you, did you ever have any sort of humanoid encounters after that happened? No. No, I had a lot of vivid dreams along those lines, but... Uh, okay, what, no. about before, what about before it happened? Anything? Nothing that, you know, I, because of what happened to me when the whole alien abduction thing started to come into popular, uh, into the popular awareness, I guess, um, I I started to read up about it and none of it really quite fit a lot of the things that I read in the Bud Hopkins books or David Jacobs. It's, it was more, I had a number of uh, a series of ongoing visitations or whatever, or dreams or whatever they might have been, um, of some short, squat, humanoid-type beings. And but this was before this missing time period, um, and this this happened right after we moved to uh, Massachusetts. My father's job—he uh, was a salesman for a paper company—and they. Moved to, uh, required his job required him to move the family several times for job transfers, and we had left Long Island, New York, and on I had just turned four years old. We moved up to Wellesley, Massachusetts, and right after we moved into that house, I began having these dreams, if that's what they were. My parents always said they were dreams, but they were very, very, very vivid, and they were these short, squat, black entities. Uh, not nothing like typical gray aliens or anything that you read of. They were squat, black, um, you know, maybe three, three and a half feet high. They had kind of glowing eyes, and and I would see them at my bedside, and 
used to, and I would be paralyzed and unable to move. And yeah, I read a lot about um, sleep paralysis, and I know that you know the mind can be can make you think that these things are real, and they can be very, very vivid. But right. I never. I never really quite bought that explanation. My mother has said, oh, it was the trauma of moving and you were in a new house. But this went on for almost the whole five years that we were in this house in Massachusetts before we moved to New Jersey. So Right. Now, how long did you live there? I mean, you said five years, but at what age did you first move in and what age were you when you moved out? We, I had just turned four. I actually moved out of Long Island. Wow. I was... Uh, on my fourth birthday, and we moved in there. I think we stayed with my aunt for the weekend while the furniture was being moved in, and we moved in like three days later, like August thirtieth. Wow! So you, so your experiences started pretty early, probably. Yeah, really after we moved to this house. So I, I in trying to figure all this out, I'm, I'm wondering if there's might have these entities or whatever they were, assuming that they weren't dreams, um, were attached to the house. Now, I was the only child in the house also. My brother is 14 years older than me. My sister's 12 years older than me. So he was just getting ready to enter his freshman year at Boston College, and he was living home that first year uh, when we moved into Massachusetts. And my sister was a junior in high school. I was the only child in the house. And I'd been doing some reading about you know, demonology and things of that nature. And, and they... Uh, and what I've read is a lot of times these things will attach themselves or go after children because they're more vulnerable. I was the only child in the house, and I'm wondering if these things might have been present in the house and went after me because I was the only the only kid in there. So, But this went on for about the whole five years. I think they were a little more intense the first two or three years that I was there, a little more frequent, but... I, I mean, I, I bumped into one of these things in the hallway when I came out. <laughs> I came out of the bathroom one night, and I and I almost ran into it, and it like it almost bumped into the thing, and the thing stopped and almost looked surprised. And I looked at it, and the next wow. morning I went and I said to my parents, I said, I saw one of those things. It was in the hallway. I wasn't asleep. I wasn't in bed. I saw. And they said, Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> it was a night you were dreaming. You were sleepwalking. I said, I know. I saw it, and then. Then I had another experience outside the home where I think I saw saw them also, and, hmm. and that was when I was about six. So at a camping trip with my brother and sister. So I, I had some strange things happening when I was a, a, a kid, and you know, you really didn't didn't have it so much in when we moved to New Jersey. So I don't know if it was something to do with where we lived. It was like an older home. I was, just, I was just getting ready to say, do you have any idea how old that home was? Um, I think it was built in the early, uh, the early part of the 20th century. So it, it had been around for a while, at least. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, Wellesley was, I haven't been there in a lot of years, but it was a pretty rural area. It was suburban, but there was a lot of woods in the area. Um it was it was an older old colonial home. It was probably know, this was sixties early seventies, so it was it was probably seventy five years old. It it just makes you wonder though if there had been any any stories about that place before you moved into it. You know, because a lot of times you know you you have a house like that that will have a rep- 
reputation. You know, even though uh, people may not come right out and say it, you know, it's one of these things that's that you know, it's kind of like whispered throughout the community. Mm. You know, like yeah, you know, that's that's the house. You know, <laughs> you know, I would be curious to know about any people that may have uh, moved in there after. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, my brother and sister or my parents don't ever have never said anything about seeing anything unusual or and and for years I told myself, well, my mother, I guess my mother was right, they were probably just nightmares, but I'll tell you they, there's nothing that seemed night like dreamlike about it. They were very, very, very vivid of these things coming into my room and taking me. It was a very, very, being the smallest, the youngest kid, I had the smallest room, and it was real, real narrow. And there was, But there was a big walk-in closet, and I used to actually play on the floor in the closet because the closet was almost as big as the room was. <laughs> and uh, there was a window in the back of it, and they would come through the through this closet, and they would take me out through it sometimes. And, I mean, it was very, very, and it was terrifying. And, and it went on for, you know, for almost like the five years that I was there. And I, I seem to remember having one other experience once we moved to New Jersey but I I don't know uh, it was it mostly most of it was concentrated when I up there in Massachusetts and and uh, you know it's, it's it's funny though how uh, these stories always seem to be the same no matter who's telling mm-hmm. them and and where they happen i mean you know, like you said you you grew up reading you know books by brad steiger and, and people like that i mean and uh you know the lots and lots of bedroom invader stories right know, been ri- written about by you know steiger and john keel and uh but uh you know the 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 closets or a pantry in a room seems mm-hmm. to be a favorite entry uh, place uh, uh, for yeah. these these you know these these denizens of the shadows. I always, that's as I always called them, and uh, and and you know I mean, yeah. popular popular fiction always talks about you know like things under the bed, but that rarely yeah. happens. It's usually it's you know it's either you know coming out of the closet or or pantry or a dark corner. Well, it's, yeah, it's as if they have to have a portal type area that sort of resembles a portal. Sometimes, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Or it makes it easier anyway. And as far as corners, you know, dark corners, I've often wondered, and this, this is based on uh, things that I've ascertained over the years from different people, and sometimes the, if, if the vertices of, of corners where they come together, if somehow that's not a focal point that could be utilized for, for, for these things to come and go. Hmm, interesting. You know, actually, Lovecraft even talked on, touched on that in uh, in his story, uh, Dreams in the Witch House, with the geometry of the room. Kind oh, of, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that was the, that that was very much a, a Lovecraftian thing, wasn't it? That that, that whole almost like that not not sacred geometry, but, but non non Euclidean alien geometry from, from that's another it, dimension. That's, yeah. Right. 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 Huh. That's inter- that's 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 an interesting concept. Hmm. Well, John, yeah. did, did your did your mother ever ever have any uh, experiences like like the ones you described? Besides the uh, uh, the premonitions, did she ever have any sort of entity encounters or, or weird uh, um, oh. changes of consciousness? You know, um, not that I'm aware of. She had, like I said, these. Um, 
really pre- very accurate sometimes uh, precognitive dreams. She, she had one that involved my two uncles that passed away on the same night, and she was having these terrible dreams about them for the a whole year prior to it happening, and then that's another story. But she used to oh, wow. she had that, but she did have, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's just kind of an interesting one. Um, they were she just as she was dreaming about her first sister's husbands and they were drowning in this black pool of uh, of water, this churning black water and she was having these terrible dreams all year and then on 4th of July it was 1975 um, so I was about 10 um, she woke up early in the morning about 4 in the morning and in a sweat and she had this, had this terrible dream of my uncles and they, they sunk underneath this the, wave, the waves and my aunt I mean, my grandmother was there standing at the edge of the, the water, and my mother said, we have to help Jimmy and Vinny. You know, they're, they're drowning, and, and my grandmother shook her head as if to say, it's too late, and then they sunk under the waves. And then, like, 20 minutes later, the phone rang. My uncles both died. The one was having a heart attack. They lived next door to each other in Brooklyn. And the one was having, the older uncle was having a heart attack. My older aunt called next door to her sister, uh, who's the youngest in the family. And she and her husband went across, went next door, and they were nurses, and my mother was a nurse. I think all the girls in the family were nurses. So she went over, and they were attending to my uncle upstairs, who was having a heart attack. My younger uncle got on the, was in the kitchen on the phone calling the hospital, and he got so upset he had a heart attack and dropped on the floor. And oh my gosh! They died within minutes of each other. My Man. uncle Vinny was only forty-six, and my uncle Jimmy, who was, I guess, in his mid-sixties, he died upstairs in the bedroom. Oh like wow! And so, yeah, my mother was. She would get nervous when she would have these these dreams. But yeah. years later, after that, old my older aunt, whose husband had passed away that night, after a couple of years after she had passed, she. Um, my mother saw her in her bedroom. Um, she was up there just you know, folding some laundry, putting away clothes. And uh, she turned around, and there was my Aunt Jane sitting at the edge of her bed with her hands folded. And she said in a very commanding voice, unlike my aunt, you know, who was very sweet, and um, she said, call Buddy, who's one of, the, one of their brothers, my Uncle Buddy, who's... 91 now, still still doing well. Um, but she says, call. She said, call Buddy. He needs you. And <laughs> and then she disappeared, just vanished. And my mother went down, and my father said, "What's the matter? You look, you look upset." She said, "I just saw Jane, my sister." And uh, phone rang within you know right after that, and she picked it up, and it was my uncle Buddy. And my mother, before she had even had a chance to call him, to call him, and she said, "Buddy, are you okay? What's the matter?" And he said, "No." Uh, he goes, uh, "Andrea, his daughter, my cousin, has breast cancer." And oh, you know, my uncle's wife passed about ten years before that of breast cancer, so that much more upsetting. But you know, there was my aunt, <laughs> her sister, saying, "Call, call our brother. He's upset." And you know, bang! You know, it was, good news is my my cousin's okay. She got through it, but 
But yeah, mm-hmm. that you know, she was visited by a uh, her dead sister. So, <laughs> but as far as entity type of encounters or any ghosts, oh man, yeah, my my parents both said they <laughs> they had some uh, some ghost sightings. That was in the house in New Jersey that we just sold a couple of years ago. Um, but um, no, no, not not that I'm aware of. Just she you know, just the precognitive dreams and the. Uh, and the premonitions, yeah. and she did have that that encounter there with her her sister, who mm. told her to call well, called her brother. <laughs> yeah, almost almost like a crisis apparition, you know. Yes, yeah. Hmm. So, you know, so yeah, it it, uh, it, it des- definitely seems to run in the family, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's very strange. That, I'm sure, but it often does. Have, I've heard that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. And and, the and blog it, comments once you I've get their attention. I, I think that forces like that, once you have their attention, or they become interested in you, yeah, you're kind of like a, a beacon that keeps drawing their attention, to, and, and similar beings too. There's yeah. something that happens that, that sort of lights you up. Maybe it's in the spirit world, maybe it's somewhere else, but yeah. once it starts, you know, it, it's something that you have to deal with. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm wrestling with a bit. I mean, are these, uh, is this some sort of gift from God or is it a curse? Well, I mean, are you, are you a Christian? Yes. Um, my father was uh, raised as a Lutheran, but my mother was a very devout Italian Catholic. <laughs> and, well, and, well, and us kids were raised as, as church every Sunday and all that. And, right. And, well, here's the yeah. thing. If, if you read in... Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And one of those gifts is called the discernment of spirits. And people generally interpret that to mean if you hear something or see something, you could feel in your spirit whether it's good or evil, whether it's of God or whether it's a deceptive thing or something else. But it also can be the ability to see, sense, feel the presence and the activities of the unseen, what's usually the unseen world. I, I, when I th- hear about the, the, the idea of discernment of spirits, I think of Lorraine Warren, you know, yes. who was a Christian, yeah, but know. had a strong, strong so-called psychic ability. And if she's a hardcore Christian and she has that ability, then that would be the discernment of spirits. Yes, yeah, it would make sense. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, gentlemen, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, uh, we need to go ahead and take our break here. This is a perfect opportunity uh, for that. So when we come back, uh, John, we'll continue this conversation Great. and go go into uh, just exactly what happened uh, to you last year. So okay, uh, so everyone, stay tuned. We will be right back. You're listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. We will be right back. I've been blue, searching for what we'll call the truth. Anymore, they say I'm crazy. Well, so are you. Hi, 
I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. MrUFO8 at Hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with the text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Outer Edge Radio here on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz as usual, and we are joined 
in mid-conversation by John Carlson. And uh, before we went to break, John was telling us some of the stuff about his uh, his childhood, some of the strange things that, that happened. But, uh, you know, I heard some rumors, John, that uh, <laughs> recently, as in the last year or so, you had a really strange encounter, sort of a revival of weirdness in your life. You want to kind of tell yeah. us about that? <laughs> yeah, it was not all that welcome either. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I said I, I had a number of strange things happened to me in my childhood and in my adolescence and then nothing of real significance i think in my adult years and although my wife says i have frequent dreams and i babble in some kind of foreign language knowing <laughs> them okay. not sure what that means but she said I, I have a lot of nightmares i remember some of them and occasionally i kick the poor woman i don't know how she sleeps with me but um I thrash around a bit, but I haven't had anything really strange uh, happen until last June. Um, I became, I, as I mentioned earlier, I used to have a podcast, and I had read about this guy who is a uh, cryptozoologist. He's been all over the world looking for different unknown species. His name is uh, Adam Davis, and he's out of... Uh, Grew up in Manchester, England. He lives right outside of that, that kind of northern England area. I think he's in, like, Stockport. And I read about Adam. I ordered his book, Extreme Expeditions. I read the book, and it was really interesting. And I thought, hey, he'd be a great guest. And I got in touch with uh, Patrick Leach, who uh, is was his publisher with Anomalist Books. Patrick gave me his contact information, and I got in touch. And Adam and I... I, I set up an interview, and he was a great guest. We used to like to have fun on the show and joke around a bit, and Adam had a really good sense of humor, and we, we got along very well, and had him back as a guest several times because he was, he was just a lot of fun. And he was a really in, interesting guest. He's been all over the world looking for various types of uh, beasts. And uh, so Adam, after the, the show ended, Adam and I, and I kept in touch, and we Skype chat pretty frequently and he was out he started he he'd only recently within the last few years started to get into bigfoot research right and he started to come to north america so he said hey i'm going to be out north coming in your direction and I said we'll have to get together so he went out in summer of 2012 he went out to the pacific cascades um uh with uh, to meet up with uh, another bigfoot researcher Lori simmons and they went out and did some uh, foot research out there, and he, he went with a bunch of his uh, friends and fellow researchers from England, and one of the guys was from the uh, Netherlands. And they said, well, on our way back, we're going to stop over New York City for a few days, and I live about 25 minutes by bus ride in from Manhattan. So he said, why don't you come in and visit us? So I went in there, and I stayed in the... Uh, in the youth hostel where they were staying in the hostel. You know, next time I'm going to pay for a hotel. The hostel wasn't too much fun. But uh, <laughs> it was kind of grungy. So I'm going to sprinkle the hotel next time they do that. But we, we hooked up and we uh, you know, hung out and you know, had some drinks and, and caught up. And I finally met Adam face-to-face. And then he said, hey, you know, next time we go on an expedition, why don't you come along with us? And until then, I've only been a guy who writes about this stuff. I've never actually gone out in the, the field and done any kind of real research on my own. 
I write about other people who do that stuff. So um, he had this uh, this expedition set up uh, for June of 2014, and he asked if I'd like to go along. So we went to the Olympic Project weekend uh, that uh, Derek Randall's runs uh, periodically. That's up in the Olympic Peninsula, up in Port Angeles, uh, Washington, which is about you know, three or four hours north of Seattle. And so I went out there, met up with Adam at uh, the Seattle Tacoma Airport, and we went up to on up to the Olympic Project weekend. And that was interesting. We had kind of some some interesting activity up there on a night expedition we went on and some vocalizations that sounded very primate-like. And um, But we, we left there a day early because he had also made arrangements to meet up with another Bigfoot researcher who was going to take us to his research site, which was in southern Oregon. And uh, this gentleman's name was uh, Dr. Matt Johnson. The people who are listening probably know a lot of these names who are interested interested in the, the Bigfoot field. They're pretty well-known guys. And Matt is uh, has been in this, uh, habituating this same area in southern Oregon for, I think, the previous eight or nine years before we went up there. And he goes up there you know, once or twice a month, year-round, because he believes that he has a family of Bigfoot that live in the area. Um, and that they're interacting with him on some level, and he leaves out the uh, these food bowls for them, and he's, he's got, gathered some interesting evidence. I mean, he's gotten. I, I mean, I saw some of this. They're very large foot, bare footprints, you know, and uh, fingerprints on the the bowls and all that. So we we met up with uh, we left the Olympic project weekend and. We drove down to uh, Matt and his wife's house outside of Seattle, and he made us a nice dinner, and we slept over there, and the following day we piled into his beat-up old uh, Ford Suburban and drove the eight hours or so down from uh, the Seattle area down into southern Oregon where he sets up camp. Hmm. And i got to back up a sec. Matt only allowed me to go after... He vetted me over the phone for about an hour and a half. He really grilled me, <laughs> and uh, he, because he's very he's very selective about the people he takes up into this area. He doesn't want people uh, that he doesn't know too well, and he doesn't want anybody going up there uh, without permission and without um, without him being present. So we actually had to sign non disclosure agreements saying that we wouldn't reveal where this place was and, and wouldn't go up there without his his permission right. and without him being present. So hmm. because he feels How? that you know he doesn't want to undo the, the research that he's done and have people go up there and scare off these these guys. Right. So, so how remote is this location? Remote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it was uh, I, I think I think I can say this much. I mean it was about more than 10 miles up an old logging road, an old abandoned logging road. It was very, very overgrown with vegetation. We had several times had to pull in the side view mirrors so they wouldn't be ripped off of the truck and 
I'm glad we were able to leave our rental car back in his driveway because it really would have gotten scratched up. And this road was like, so it was up this ridge. I mean, at one point as you're going up, about a foot from the edge of the road, it just drops like hundreds of feet down. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it was all like very pitted and rutted and you really needed a four-wheel drive vehicle to get up there. So we arrive up there. I guess this was, mm, I we think we were there Monday, Monday through Friday. No, Tuesday, we got up there Tuesday. We left Friday, so we're up there four nights. And um, it ends, this road ends in a uh, kind of a, a circular area, uh, I guess, for vehicles to turn around. And we set up camp right in the middle of this circle. At the top of the circle, like the 12 o'clock position, there's a, a footpath through the woods. and But to either side, it's just heavy, heavy, dense vegetation and trees. Uh, to the right, like towards a 3 o'clock position, you, you can't hike in long at all before it, the landscape falls away real steeply. And to the left, it's you, know, you can hike in a, maybe a few hundred yards before it drops down. So it, it's kind of a ridge. And it was, you know, it was the only one road in, and we said very, very remote. So, wow, we got up so, there. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you get up there like like early in the day so you could set up your camp and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah. And then we left first thing in the morning, and I said it was about a about an eight hour drive. Beautiful area. The country a little different than uh, the Olympic rainforest. It was a little drier, but a lot of, right. Beautiful, beautiful area, and very, very heavily forested. So we got so up there at midday. We set up our, the, the camp. He kind of parked the suburban toward the back end of the, you know, near near the entrance. And you know, Matt had very strict rules about what we can and can't do, which he went over with us, went over with me on the phone and, and several times before we got up there, and. You know, we were. He said they don't like it when we stay in the inside the car or sleep in tents, so we had to sleep outside on cots. So <laughs> I said, okay. He said, no. He said, oh, not the, they'll pelt the car with uh, or the tent with rocks if you sleep uh, if we sleep inside. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> That's really weird. Yeah. yeah so the worst. Now he goes, John. If he tells me on the phone, he goes. He says to me, uh, if I don't. Want anybody who's going to freak out up there because you'll, I don't want you scaring them off. I said, okay. I said, I'm pretty, pretty cool. I don't think I'll, I'll freak out. And he said, well, if, if you wake up and there's one like leaning over you and his face is like six inches away from yours, I don't want you to scream. <laughs> I don't know if I can guarantee that. <laughs> Boy, you're not kidding. <laughs> yeah, so. But, uh, so, do you have any idea how he found this location to begin with? Well, Matt's story, actually, I'm sure you can find it online, is uh, Dr. Matthew Johnson. He's uh, He had an experience of his own uh, maybe 14, 15 years ago, I think, uh, with his family while they were hiking in southern Oregon near the uh, Oregon Caves. And where he went into the woods a few yards away to relieve himself, and he was, uh, well, he was squatting down over a log, he I think he, he saw uh, Bigfoot walking in the direction of his family. So he wow. picked up his pants and <laughs> and kind of went toward, you know, 
kind of ran toward his family, sort of parallel to this thing, I believe. And uh, and he said he, he grew up in Oregon, but he never had any belief in Bigfoot. And you know, he said he saw this thing, and, and he said it was enormous. And Matt is enormous. He's about, he's a college basketball player. He's like 6'9", and about you know, 280 or something. He's a big guy. And he said this thing was much bigger than him. So mm-hmm. um, so he got interested in the phenomena, <laughs> the that way, and he's you know so he started to look uh, around the area, and he kind of selected this place. He, he said at first he was more into doing like traditional research, trying to get you know set up camera traps and get gather physical evidence and get take footprint casts. But then he's uh, his philosophy changed along the way, and he got more into this habituation method, where uh, I guess somebody. I'm not 100% sure of the story, but somebody had introduced that to him, and and he thought it made a lot more sense. So what he does is he sets up camp uh, in this area where he feels that there are a high number of sightings, and he thinks they're in the area. And uh, so he's been going up there for, like I said, it's probably I think he's on his ninth year up there. Uh, he goes every month once, twice a month, I think, and sets up camp, and he leaves out these food bowls, and and we didn't, we didn't come away with a picture, you know, shaking hands with any Bigfoot or anything like that, but, but it, you know, there was some very compelling evidence that they were present. Hmm. We were you could, uh, you, you could, you could actually feel their presence close by, huh? Yeah, yeah. The activity really happens at night. So mm-hmm. he said during the daytime. Uh, during the daytime, we went out. We did some fun stuff. We drove. He drove us out to Crater Lake, and uh, we went jet boat riding one day. So we didn't. It was, it was a fun time during the day. The, the nights were a little more interesting. But uh, <laughs> we uh, the first night. He said generally the first night is quiet. And he said there might not be that much activity, and he was right. There's not not a whole lot happened the first night. It was generally pretty right. quiet. And he puts out these these gifting bowls. They're just like stainless steel dog food bowls with uh, with different food items in there. And he put them out, and he was very very scrupulous about showing us how he does everything. And he wears rubber gloves so he doesn't leave his own fingerprints on the bowls. He wipes it down. He had Adam or, or I uh, carry the bowls out a lot of times, and uh, most of the time. And you know, we were never really outside of each other's sight. So uh, I just say this to, because I, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you must have been hoaxed. I really don't think anything that happened up there was any sort of hoax. And and he was, you know, Matt was very upfront with us about having him watch it. And do all his, uh, you know, go through all his preparations. So, first night was fairly quiet. The second night heated up. It got, uh, we got back at dusk and, you know, set up. We ate out in town and then uh, we got back and set up camp and we just kind of waited. And after nightfall, we started to hear noises. We would hear, some hoots and calls, and you hear heavy, what sounded to us as obviously bipedal footsteps. 
And one thing, um, it was very dry, very clear. There was no moisture in the air at all. And there was a full moon, I think, in the next to the last night that we were there. So the moon was really bright. And you could see the, the woods to the left, like towards that like, um, 9 o'clock position, were backlit by the moonlight. So twice I saw silhouettes move in between the trees because you could see the trees, all the trees were all backlit, and you could see upright figures move through between the trees. And the next morning, we walked up the footpath toward the where he would place the gifting bowls, and I found a really, really, really large bare footprint in the middle of the path, and I took a picture of that. And then we got to the gifting bowls, and it's interesting that, you know, the food wasn't scattered as if, you know, critters got into it like possums or raccoons he had eggs the eggshells were the eggs were taken out but they weren't you didn't find any broken eggshells or they looked like they were plucked out uh different mm-hmm. food items were were taken but they all seemed like very neatly taken and then you know he had me examine the bowl and adam examine it got a really really big thumbprint on the outside of it. I mean, right. much bigger than Matt's hand, and I'm sure Matt could easily palm a basketball. <laughs> and it was big. And he said, look on the inside. He said, and I could see the fingerprints. He said, I, he said, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, if there's a thumbprint on the outside, there's probably fingerprints on the inside because they're, they're picking up and grabbing it that way. I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. So there were, you know, and so we saw that a couple of mornings, you know, pretty much every the next three mornings, you saw the big fingerprints on them. Hmm. And again, that was, you know, was very, very uh, clear and very, very sure to make sure that we, uh, that we watched him and that he wiped down the bowl with a rag and that he, he, uh, he wore rubber gloves. And I don't think they were his fingers, but they were, frankly, they were too large to be his fingerprints and, and uh, they were too large to be human fingerprints, but they were very obviously finger and thumbprints and they were big and again I saw the big uh, footprint and then we heard you know the, the activity at night the, the knocking and the, the hoots and and one morning uh, Adam woke me up and he, I had just gone to bed and it was about quarter to five I think and I finally went to, to bed because I couldn't keep my eyes open and he said you know he said I'll I'll uh, he said, just go to bed and I'll stay up full dawn. This, this is getting ahead of myself a little bit, but he, he wakes me up about 15, 20 minutes later. He says, there's something in the, in the bushes over there. And we heard her. I got up, I kind of sat up in the, in the, uh, my cot and I looked and I heard this thing go, Rrr! I mean, it was a very, I couldn't even imitate the, the sound, but it was very loud and very, very primate sounding uh, hmm. vocalization to me. I mean, it did not sound like it was a bear or anything. And it was also it was coming up from pretty high. It was not ground level. It was coming from well above our heads. So, I mean, so there was uh, there was some <laughs> interesting evidence. Uh, I certainly think he's got Bigfoot up there. Uh, but again, it didn't come away with anything definitive. Uh, we got a hair sample, but. 
it turned out it was his dog. <laughs> and oh, and uh, unfortunately, man. Adam Adam plucked this thing off and sealed it in a paper bag and, and sent it out to, uh, I think, Todd Disatel in uh, at, uh, NYU. Checked it. And, um, so we didn't come away with anything that absolutely proves uh, there's a Bigfoot, but it certainly, I left. I, I honestly, I went up there because I wanted to go camping with my friend. <laughs> and I, wanted, I, figured, I was not going up there expecting to find any Bigfoot. I, I have an interest in Bigfoot, but I'm not really part of this whole Bigfoot community right. uh, that I've become aware of since. My wife had a, a, which may or may not have been a Bigfoot encounter, uh, a few years ago, which I wrote about on my blog, and I've had a lot of people contact me about Bigfoot-related stuff since I wrote that article. Um, she was out in northwestern New Jersey uh, in Stoke State Forest with uh, her seventh grade students. Um, it's a whole other story. It was more of a vocalization thing, but all the teachers and the kids all heard it. And, and the park ranger said, well, they said, what is that? And they said, well, there's been a lot of Bigfoot sightings around lately. So, which in I, was get, North, I was getting ready to say, yeah, New Jersey, you know, New Jersey at times is a places. hot spot. For and my me, wife yeah. came home, and she knows because I like this weird stuff, and I have the blog. She said, uh, "There's a Bigfoot in our camp." <laughs> and I said, "Get out of here! This is New Jersey. There's no Bigfoot in New Jersey." I said, "If there is a Bigfoot, it's got to be. They live up in the you know, Pacific Northwest in Canada, in British Columbia. They don't live around. No, here. they're everywhere." But yeah, apparently I did at the time. I wasn't was well versed in the in the subject, and uh, and I, when I started to look into it, I started reading about it because in northeastern New Jersey, northwestern New Jersey, you drive an hour west of me, it's a whole whole different New Jersey out there. I'm right outside <laughs> yeah. of New York City. You go out towards the like the Pennsylvania New York border, um, like uh, Sussex County and Warren County. It's it's a lot of mountains is very heavily wooded and out there they they're like oh yeah it's big red eye i'm like i've never heard of big red eye and, but mm-hmm. people out there know big red eye that's what they call it because they're often these sightings are often described as you know these beasts have red eyes glowing red eyes which is interesting to me um so but i'd never heard of that i'm not my my section of jersey but but yeah that northeastern and the pine barrens have actually quite a few Bigfoot right. uh, reports. I can't well, find the Pine Barrens, so I can believe that. Oh yeah, I've, I've been to the Pine Barrens. It, uh, it it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if that area is not full of Bigfoot and <laughs> God knows what else. It's you know? a weird place. It it's is. Cool. I yeah. love the Pine Barrens, but it's strange. <laughs> strange down there. Well, go ahead and tell us then. I think it was the uh, was it the third night. Yeah, that, uh, that nice. things things got interesting for you. Yeah, that's when the real fun began. Um, <laughs> um, we kind of lost interest in the Bigfoot at that point. <laughs> was, this this other phenomenon was uh, was a little weirder than that. Um, third night, we decided to stay up later than usual for what, for whatever reason. I guess we we went to bed uh, one thirty, two o'clock the first two nights. The Third night, we figured we were, there was a lot of activity. There was a lot of noise and heavy footfalls and that sort of thing. And we decided to go out to uh, uh, to stay up a little bit later. And it was around two thirty in the morning. And Adam 
Adam, I think he used to smoke. I think he quit since. But um, Matt Johnson hates smoking, and he has asthma. And he said, if you're gonna, if you have to smoke, go towards the back, go to the six o'clock position, a little circle there in the camping area near the entrance of the uh, of the road behind where he parks his suburban. He said, go back there if you're going to smoke. I don't smoke, but I like when I go camping, I get these cheap backwoods cigars that come in a pouch. And <laughs> I like Oh, I know the things. ones you're talking Yeah, those things. Yeah, they're, they're like, they used to be cheap. Then. Now they're like nine bucks for those things, but it's still pretty cheap. And, yeah, look uh, like, they look like they were like rolled on a rock somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're yeah, little, I know. Yeah, cheesy, but... But I like to I like to smoke them. They're they're mild and uh, and they keep away the bugs. That's mainly why I do it. And there really wasn't very many many bugs up there. But Adam took a liking to those. I had to actually go out and buy a couple more packs the next day, and he had never had them. So we were back there smoking these backwoods back towards the <laughs> the entrance of the camping area, sort of behind the suburban, and. We didn't do that constantly. We mostly we sort of circled around the the camp, the perimeter of the camp, and we, we were trying to kind of elicit some reaction from the Bigfoot. You know, Matt said, "Well, go out and you know, go to the edge and talk to them. Tell them who you are. Introduce yourself." And so, <laughs> actually, felt a little silly, like, "Yeah, yeah, hi, I'm John, and uh, <laughs> like to meet you." And so we did that, um, but. Uh, I say that because I've heard Matt say, "Well, John and Adam were back in behind the, the by the entrance the whole time. We we weren't we weren't there constantly. We we went we'd go that back there periodically to smoke, so we wouldn't get the smoke in Matt's face and annoy him. So we were back there and we were facing. This is the third night, and it was around two thirty a.m. And we're looking down, you know, kind of in in the direction of the entrance of the the camp site." and the road leading up into the campsite. And you know, 100, 100, 150 feet down the road, if, if, if that, I mean, 120 feet, um, we start to see this mist forming in the road, and, which was unusual because that said it was very dry, and there was a steady steady wind. Of the, the, all the tree cover kind of shielded us from the wind, so it was just kind of this... Constant, like low whispering, you know, um, of the wind, but it shouldn't have been any mist. But as I'm looking at it, and it kind of looked like a mist. It was sort of, and it was, it was about the length, of the width of the road, and I don't know, maybe which was maybe 12 feet and maybe I don't know, eight feet high, kind of roughly oblong, and it it started to get. This, this glowing, this mist started to kind of steadily glow brighter and brighter. And, and, and Matt Johnson came over, and uh, Adam and I are staring at this, and he goes, goes hey, what, what are you looking at? And I'm like, what's that, that mist? It's like starting to glow. And he said, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen that before. And then... Toward the center of the mist, as it kind of reaches its peak, you know, level of uh, of glowing, towards the center, uh, this it kind of turns this fiery red color, 
and we're looking into it, and it's like looking into a, a landscape into someplace else. You saw like a sort of real barren landscape and a withered tree. But we were looking into the road. I mean, we couldn't have been looking through it because there was nothing in the road. The road was just hard-packed dirt and, and stones. And right. there's vegetation and trees on either side, but we couldn't have been looking through. We were looking like, looks like into another dimension. And right. out of this So did it, glow, did it look like the light was shining through from somewhere else? Yeah, it was kind of like... Um, in this reddish area formed in the center of the, the, the glow, and it was almost kind of like it was we were looking into some other landscape, someplace else. And all three of us are staring and looking at this, and out of it, these two small, squat, black beings are, appear. They're, they're standing within this kind of reddish, orange, fiery-looking glow. And they were squat and black and had glowing eyes. And the first thing I thought was like, holy crap, those, those are the same things that I saw as a kid. They were, they looked exactly like the things that I, you know, for, for those five years that I lived in that house that my mother said was a, were dreams and nightmares. They, that's what they looked like. And right. these two things and, at first, Matt said, like, he said, well, maybe they're juveniles, uh, Squatch, you know, Sasquatch. And, right. And then, and, you know, they moved a little closer to us, and he said, no, they're not. <laughs> he said, I don't know what, I don't know what those things are. And, yeah. And, you know, none of, none of us really had any point of reference for these except, except for me. Because <laughs> I immediately yeah. recognized them. I said, so it's, 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 it's almost as if your own personal weirdness your own tormentors that sought you out yeah that's what's been bothering me <laughs> that's that's been weighing on my mind a little bit in the last well uh, think about this too it could be that's, that's a window area which is why there's so much sas- so-called yeah. sasquatch activity there so the veil may be thinner there between dimensions or worlds and uh you were there, and somehow they became aware of the fact that you were there and hanging out there for a prolonged length of time and decided, well, instead of just coming to you in, a, in an astral form, yeah, they just come see you for real, you know? Yeah, that, that's kind of my feeling about it, Mike. That's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, where, that's where my head's at right now. I hate to make this like the story's yeah. all about me here, but um, <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's that's usually what happens. The type of thing. So, you know, it, yeah, that, I mean, that actual physical demonic manifestation. But those things to be physically real, I think they have to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where what what I, I feel. I mean, they were a, something about that area allowed them to physically manifest themselves in front of me. Right, right. But, you know, the scary thought is, well, are they always kind of with me? Or is it just that they were in this place that they were able to, to show themselves? But Just the right place at the right time. Yeah. Or the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, when... Well, no, I was... What was Matt's reaction to this? What did he do? Well, he kind of checked them out for a while, and uh, at first he was not convinced that these things were anything 
nice. And really, Adam and I, besides the fact that they were a squat black, you know, humanoids with glowing red eyes, um, they certainly didn't have a nice appearance. Um, he, yeah, you know, he. I think he was a little, little freaked out by it, and he, he had his. He takes with him a big uh, forty-four, and he went down with it, and walk. We walked down toward the. Uh, we actually, we we shine. We we shined a flashlight into the in the direction of this orb of light, and uh, it actually like kind of blinked out which was really weird. It seemed like any time we had light, direct light on it, it, it went out. So it kind of, it, it disappeared. So we walked down to the, to the area, and he called out, hey, you know, we are not wanted here. We, we, we reject you and we rebuke you in the name of Christ or something to, the, to that effect, and, uh, which was my thought, too. I think, yeah, we ended up using that. Uh, later on, but uh, but yeah, but it it when we left when we backed up and about you know within a few minutes, it the glow started to came to come back and it got brighter and brighter. It's almost like it had it got switched off and had a power up again <laughs> when we hit it with the the light. It was really it was really really weird. Spells. 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 Here for the first time in the inspired pages of Bible Spells, Reverend William Orabello unveils a concealed code hidden throughout the Holy Scriptures that can bring you an abundance of money, personal success, as well as love, good luck, healing, happiness, and protection of your home as well as loved ones. More important than the Bible code or Nostradamus' prophecies, this secret code was revealed to Reverend Orabello during an encounter with divine, supernatural beings who changed his life forever. Now you can learn this unique system yourself to materialize all of your personal needs and influence others. Order William Orabello's Bible Spells from Amazon.com or get your copy, a free Bizarre Bazaar subscription as well as a bonus companion DVD for $20 with free shipping and handling by calling 646-331-6777. 646-331-6777. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom-built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with talk stream lives topic driven talk radio list and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click to listen audio links the future of talk radio is topic driven talk radio available now at talkstreamlive.com so, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. 
Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Pew, pew. Wait, wait, Mom, what? Huh? What? Hold What'd on. What'd you say? Wait a sec, huh? This weekend... Unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio. So, so how did these creatures act toward you when they saw you? Did they see you? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. They, they were obviously watching us, and they were standing sort of on the perimeter of, you know, just, just down the road from the edge of the camp. And they were, they were standing there, and they were looking at us. And Adam and I, first of all, we had a real sense of, of dread and a, a sense of a evil presence when these things showed up. We didn't feel that when there was the Sasquatch in the area. And I definitely think that there were. And so did Adam. And, but we never felt that sense of menace or evil. Uh, we did when these things showed up. I mean, and besides the fact that, you know, they were, you know, scary looking. and <laughs> Right. Besides just their, their physical appearance, uh, you know, we definitely had this, this real sense of of well, evil, it seemed. So, yeah, sure. Uh, that that, that, and, and, that ties in with the whole demonic thing. Yeah. But ha, how, what did they look like? What was? How would you describe them? You know, as as a as a kid, I always kind of imagined. Hey, I'm looking back forty years now to to my childhood encounters, mm-hmm. and I always kind of thought they were they were black. I remember that. I I always thought they were maybe had kind of some short fur or hair covering on them, like. But um, right. I couldn't tell. It was a full full moon, and it was, uh, <laughs> interestingly, I believe it was a full moon on Friday the 13th. And <laughs> we saw these things. <laughs> and, uh, and, but it wasn't, it wasn't bright enough, and we weren't quite close enough. To, I could really tell if they were hair-covered or fur-covered or they were just black. Well, you know, like shadow people you read about, I mean, mm-hmm. which is something that... I think may might correlate uh, with my experience, but they had glowing eyes, like small, not like big, big eyes, but small, glowing red eyes, like coals, and they were black, and they were short, right. and they were squat, and just as I remember them as a kid, and, and powerful looking, robust looking, and and the next, it's funny, the next day I asked. Matt, now that the third night, Matt's ex-wife and his little son live in the area, uh, and he picked up his son, so the kid was there and present, and he saw these things, too. The seven, poor little seven-year-old boy was pretty scared. And um, 
so we, we you know we weren't really free to talk uh, because we Matt didn't want us to to frighten the kid any more than he already was. So I said, Adam, he goes. Uh, I said, what, what do you think of uh, what, what was your impression of them physically? And he just said, robust. I was like, yeah, me too. They were in, and Matt just kind of shushed us. He was like, not, not, not in front of the, <laughs> in front of the kid. I'm like, yeah, okay. But um, we talked about it since, and yeah, they seemed to be squat, and, and was, they were short, three, three and a half feet tall, but they were squat and powerful looking. Not much of a neck, right? But they were humanoid in that they had two legs and two arms and uh, and a torso and a head and and. But they were short and squat and powerful looking, and they had glowing red eyes, and they were they were black, whether they were fur covered or just black. I don't know, but they certainly p- appeared solid. They didn't seem, you know, spiritual or ephemeral at all. They were. And, and were they were they were they were they trying to get close to you? Were they staying you know close to their to the to the light? I mean, what uh, what was their reactions to you? Well, you know. <laughs> they appeared to be watching and waiting, and he asked me uh, Matt's reaction. After he went through these things, after a little while, he said, well, he goes, I'm going to bed. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> that, that's and just crazy. I think yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> and that, that happens. Goes, then I'm gonna, yeah, I think that's How many times do you hear this guy? Yeah, where people, like, they'll see something really strange, and then they'll just go in the house and forget about it. Yeah, and then like weeks later they'll think of it and they'll remember. Oh yeah, yeah, something to remind them. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, so he said, "Well, he said I can't stay up all night." And he goes, "I'm not going to." Adam and I said, "Well, we're not going to bed with these things." They're, they're, it, Adam and I had a, a very distinct impression that they were um, waiting for us to go to sleep. We were up later than normal that third night. And they appeared, I mean, maybe they appeared thinking that we had gone to sleep or what, but they almost seemed like they were waiting for us to go to to, to hit the sack. And I'm like, hmm. I said, well, I'm not going to sleep. And Adam's like, oh, I'm not going to sleep with us. Who knows what they're going to do to us if we're, if we're asleep? I said, yeah, that that makes sense. But you know, Matt said, well, he goes, I'm not staying up all night with you guys. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to bed, so. He went. He went to sleep. Adam and I stayed up two nights in a row with these things because they showed up the following night, and uh, all, until dawn. Uh, and uh, actually, that first night it was about four thirty, and the and uh, the sun was. It was just starting to get a little bit light out, and we were going to stay up till five because then it's you know it was it was bright enough that we thought it was safe, and because we we both didn't think these things would operate in in the daylight. Um, right. So, but I was like asleep on my feet, and Adam, uh, Adam said, "I just go to go to bed." And then, like twenty minutes later, he woke me up, and then that's when he, I had the Bigfoot thing. He said, "There's something in the woods. I think there's a, a Sasquatch in the in the in the bushes over there." And that's why I, <laughs> I sat up, and the thing went <laughs> and screamed oh. at us. And uh, well, at that point, you know what? The whole night with these demons. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it screamed at you because it was freaked out by those demons showing up. Right. <laughs> yeah. so Adam and I joked uh, the next day with uh, with Matt. It was like we were shushing the Sasquatch because we didn't want to distract us from the things. <laughs> but uh, but I just I just looked up and I said no. Nah, I rolled over. I went back to sleep. But but um, we were up 
almost all night with with two nights in a row with these things. And the first night, um, what happened was, as I said, they, they were kind of standing on the edge of this glowing area. But then they started to move forward. And the and strange thing was uh, this, this uh, reddish orange kind of looks like you know like firelight you know might think of hell <laughs> they with that that reddish that fiery glow that they came out of uh seemed to kind of follow them they had this oh. orangey reddish glow around them as they moved and um so they were kind of standing there and they, well, they, were, they were just watching they seemed like they were watching and waiting for us and I think they wanted us to to go to bed so they could do whatever they do, and you know, which I'm sure is not anything good. And uh, I actually got angry. Um, my after my initial kind of dread, which never really left, but I I I, I thought to myself, well, these things are from my that used to terrorize me in my childhood are are showing up now, you know, 40 years later on a mountainside in, in Oregon, <laughs> and, to, and they're to, 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 to start with me again, and, and I got angry. And, uh, and I, so I started to walk down the road in the direction of uh, this, where they stood, by this glowing portal or orb or whatever. And... Adam said, oh, he goes, don't, don't, don't go too close to him. You don't want to go into that thing. And so I kind of stopped halfway down, and I, and I yelled at him. And I said, I said, hey, we're not going anywhere, and you know, uh, we're not going to sleep, so what do you think of that? Or something like that, something stupid. But <laughs> I, I kind of I challenged them, and I kind of I yelled at them. And Adam's like, whoa, they're starting to move toward us. And he said, get back here. So I, I, I kind of backed up, and I stood next to Adam at the – the entrance of the road, and these things started to run, and they started to run, and they ran right at us. <laughs> Directly, they charged us, and they were running up there. I mean, there's a distance of maybe about 150 feet. They started running directly at us, and, and Adam, Adam says, they're, they're, they're running at us. I said, they're rushing us. <laughs> I said, oh, shit, that's what they are. And uh, so we pulled, we I, I the only thing I could think of was what Matt did earlier was uh, was to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. I said, I, you know, something to that effect. I, I, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or something, or something like that. Right, and, right. Uh, that was the only thing I could think of because you know I definitely was thinking they were demonic, and right. we we pointed our flashlights at them and. They got. I think they were within ten feet of us, and they uh, they they they, dis- they disappeared when we did that. And it was it was the scariest moment of my life. It was really really truly terrifying. And Adam Adam too. I mean, it's been it's been difficult to deal with this. It's it's been. <laughs> And especially that moment, you, just, you keep replaying it in their mind. You know, Adam and I both have been kind of kind of struggling with it because it was a, it was a really it was a really truly horrifying moment. 
I mean, because you know, wow. who has any kind of point of reference for right. for these things? And then they, they they were attacking us. I mean, they they ran right directly at us, and they were within feet of us. And who, I don't know what would have happened if they got to us. So, how close did did they actually get to you? I'd say within about ten feet of us. They got close. Wow. They charged. So, they seemed like they were picking up speed. They started to come up the road, and they started to just all out sprint, and they got really close to us. Did you guys have any weapons I, with you at all? Uh, Matt had that forty-four um, that he yeah. had, uh, but he put it back in his truck after he went to bed. Um, mm. The following night, we we held on to that. But I, I really, honestly, didn't think that we that that um, would have done yeah. any good. That probably wouldn't have done any good because it's not unless you had say a, a, a twelve gauge with some steel shot. That probably would help. Yeah, uh, they don't like steel. They don't like iron. Huh. Um, okay. Because it disrupts their electromagnetic field when they manifest like that, and that's why you have all the folklore around the world about you know everything from fairies to jinn to trolls that cannot stand the touch of iron um, mm. because it really causes them some problems. Don't go in the woods without uh, a big sharp piece of steel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> thinking that. I said well, if I if I do any of this uh, again, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I don't want to. You know. You know. You know. It's just like. A, David Polites, in his in his investigations, he he basically has said that uh, you know, or, or Tim, am I correct here? Wasn't it David Polites that said that these disappearances of people don't occur when they are armed and carrying their firearms and their yeah. knives and machetes and stuff like that? They yeah. people don't disappear, but when they're unarmed, they vanish. Yes, yeah, I have. I've I've heard him say that. I've listened to a number of his talks. So, you know, you wonder how many people disappear because of these entities or these kind of portal areas. And it's funny, uh, Matt and and, uh, Adam are more into, you know, cryptozoology and Bigfoot research. My my area of interest has been more in the general paranormal, supernatural. And I'm sure you guys have uh, probably read uh, or heard of the Hunt for the Skinwalker, the book, and, and the area out in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh so I brought that up to, to them the next day. I said, you know, this place may be one of these uh type of kind of portal areas like, you know, the Skinwalker Ranch out in Utah. I said, you know, neither of them had heard it or had read the book. I read the book probably three times over because I thought it was really fascinating. Just because of all the different types of phenomena that manifested itself out there. Which kind of ties into what I've been feeling for a while is that a lot of this is really connected. As much as we like to put everything in their neat little boxes, Bigfoot's over here and, you know, UFOs are over here and... Right, they're all, it's all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's all interconnected. But they hadn't heard of that, and I said, well, I think that's, it might be a, a, you know, Skinwalker type of place where... Yeah, Exactly. Very interesting. So, um, so the same thing happened again the following night, pretty much, replay. Said they yes. didn't get charged. but So you saw them again the following night. They showed up yeah. again. Well, yeah. the, the exact same scenario? Uh, they didn't charge. Yes, right at about 2.30 a.m. Very punctual. <laughs> very huh. punctual demons. They, uh, they showed up. <laughs> Sounds like a song. Right in the same spot in the same place. Now, this, this, this orb of light, we were calling it a portal, which seems to have stuck. Um, right. 
it's uh, it, it seemed kind of fixed to this area. It didn't move at all. Although when they came out of this red area, that reddish glow kind of followed them. Interesting, and I've been studying this stuff since because I'm trying to make sense of it, and I've been kind of drawing on my my Catholic upbringing, and I, I've been reading a lot about demonology and exorcism. And there's an interesting quote by St. Thomas Aquinas who says, he writes uh, that because he's consulted a lot in, uh, you know, in the exorcist use his research and his writings quite a bit because he wrote a lot about demons. And he writes something about demons. He says they carry the fire of hell wherever they go. And I read that and I'm like, these things, this red glow went with them when they moved. Hmm. Right. So like, that's weird. And I was like, that really struck me. I said, because that's what they did. They, you know, this, this red fiery glow kind of went with them as they went. But And that kind of reminds you of... That, that yeah. kind of reminds you of the, the various stories about radiation, even dangerous radiation, uh, accompanying some manifestations of entities and even UFOs and things like this. Because if they're coming in from another continuum, another another uh, uh, frame of reference, a frame of being, and they and they transition to this one, there's a good chance there's going to be some radioactivity associated with just the fact that they did that. But they open, you know, if they're moving between, say, uh, one rip. One quantum realm to another, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what the glow is, you know? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I'm <laughs> open to all all ideas. Well, you know, Kiel wrote about that. Yeah, well, Kiel wrote about it too. You know, he, he wrote about the the visible spectrum, and then how UFOs yeah. are coming at one end of the spectrum, but they leave it at the other end in terms of the, the, yeah. the way their their color shift occurs. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Well, no, uh, so now, okay. The, uh, uh, the 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 next night, then you know that you said the the phenomena repeated itself. Uh, where where was Matt at this time? Uh, the following day, we had a nice time uh, jet boat riding down the road river, and we had a nice uh, like picnic dinner. And <laughs> his little son was with us, and then we got back around. Yeah, I said we had a nice time during the day, and Matt was a good host, and we all got along well. And we got uh, we got back there uh, in the late afternoon, just before dusk. And as it starts to get, you know, sun started to set, and of course it gets pretty dark there because of so much tree cover. Um, and also, we were not allowed to have any kind of fire or lights in this in, in the camp. That was one mm. of Matt's rules. So it's okay. completely dark there, too. By the way, no. I, I don't think I mentioned that. So that no. was one of Matt's rules. He doesn't no no electricity, no lights, no you know even even the flashlights. Generally, uh, he said just point them down. You don't want to shine them into the bushes or anything. But in this case, right. with you know we were shining them down the road at those things. But we get back in. The late uh, late afternoon, early evening, just like at dusk, and uh, and we um, well, a black bear had gotten into the camp and had knocked over some of our supplies. Matt had these two uh, big folding tables with some uh, you know supplies and things and laid out on them, and. Uh, we had seen the, the day before a black bear had gotten in while we were out and had bitten a hole through his big water jug and mm. made a mess. So he said, look, he said, 
we get back at the camp that that fourth and final night, and he, he takes out his forty four, and he said, "All right, you know, guys, you're, I'm not going to stay up all night with you guys again." Yeah, he said, "You feel free if you want to," but he said, right. "If if the bear shows up or anything else, he goes, here's how to use my forty four And he's so he's <laughs> he's showing us, you know, the gun, and you know, I've shot firearms a few times, but it's been a while, and right and. Uh, Adams from England, so I don't think they, they don't do that as much as, as Americans. <laughs> so, no. wasn't too familiar. so, uh, so yeah, so uh, Matt showing yeah. us the, the how to use the gun, and the three of us are kind of standing in a in a circle together. And the, his son is Matt bought this enormous chair. It's like I think he bought it so you know the Bigfoot decided to come in and sit for a while. I mean, it was ridiculously huge. Uh, folding chair, and the little kid was uh, his that son was sitting in this giant chair, next right next to me, and my back was to these uh, tables, these these folding uh, tables that he had, and we had uh, we bought a big case, a couple of cases of bottled water, so we had some uh, some water to drink, and I hear. A water bottle. I mean, you immediately knew what it was. You know what it sounded like when you drop a water bottle. It makes a noise that you know you recognize. It, it right. landed right at my heels of my feet, like, and I turn around and this water bottle is, you know, it, I, nobody was holding a water bottle. I wasn't holding a water bottle. The kid wasn't, uh, and that son is looks at me. His eyes are like <laughs> really big. And he said that water bottle just flew off of the, the the table over there. We were like fifteen, twenty feet away from the table. He said it just flew off through the air by itself, and it landed right at my right behind me, right at my heels. My was, my back was to the table, <laughs> and the kid was facing toward the table, sitting in the chair. He That's saw it all. He said, and, and yeah, he said the he said that just that the table. The, the the water bottle flew off the table by itself. <laughs> yeah, so it's a weird place. So yeah, a little, I, I a little said, poltergeist uh, activity thrown in as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Said, All of us are related, you know. Yeah. It really is. You definitely were in a, a serious window area there. Yeah, yeah. Could you find that place again if you had to? Um, I think so. Yeah. Would think, you want to? <laughs> well. I'm not going to break uh, Matt Johnson's uh, trust. I mean, he, he he doesn't want that's you know what it's public land. I don't think he has any legal right uh, to say who goes there and he doesn't. But I'm not going to do that, and nor do I think I want to. And, uh, <laughs> it's funny. My wife said, "You're not going back there again." <laughs> said, I don't want you going there. Yeah, which uh, yeah. I said, "Yeah, I, I understand that." And uh, well, now. And, after all of this, now um, what has what has Adam's reaction been? Because I mean, I know that um, he mostly deals with uh, the the idea to say, like you know, his uh, uh, his cryptid searches that 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 he's dealing with uh, with a, with physical creatures. But uh, now yeah. here he was faced with something that obviously appears to have a paranormal element. So I mean, what's been his reaction to all this? Um, he well, he and I talked privately. Yes, we're we're friends, and uh, but he didn't say anything about it publicly until just recently. Uh, we 
uh, he, he appears on Tim Benall's uh, podcast, uh, has been going on that show for a long time, so he has a relationship mm-hmm. with Tim, and he said, let's talk about it. He said, I'm willing to, to, to talk about it publicly because cat's out of the bag. And But he did not want to speak of it initially, partially because, yeah, Adam is a serious scientific researcher. He's not into any of this kind of paranormal stuff. And frankly, if, if you... I'm sure you know if you if you're in the flesh and blood, Bigfoot is a uh, you know a flesh and blood creature, and it's uh, and it's um, some relic hominid or something of that along those lines. And you, you come out and say there's some paranormal paranormal element to it, you're immediately an outcast in that, right. in that oh, yeah. area. Oh yeah, and it doesn't do anything yeah. to help really your, your scientific credibility. So yeah, that. Plus, he has a job with the British government, and he didn't really want his name getting associated with this kind of weirdness. I mean, he said he must have know that he's into this, uh, you know, cryptid research, but he said this is just a little, little much. So he was really reluctant to talk about it publicly. And then, and we all, the three of us, agreed not to talk about it. But then, not really surprisingly to me, uh, Matt Johnson started to speak about it publicly last April and mm. uh, you know without uh, he, he certainly is not obligated to ask our permission it's his research area and if he wants to talk about it he can but he didn't give us any kind of heads up and Adam was I think was a little bit put off and uh, and he didn't want to respond to it and 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 besides all that besides the professional and reasons for not wanting to speak about it it was it was a very traumatic experience it was right. it was really truly uh you know changed changed our uh-huh. view of of reality i mean i always well, see, have an interest in this sort of thing but it's different when you see it <laughs> yeah right, exactly so. well see if, if he if he's of the opinion that everything is biologically based and it's all just about unknown animals something like that is is worldview shattering Yes, I mean it, it's, his whole paradigm of reality got shaken to its foundation by seeing that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so he, well, and, I, I felt compelled to comment on it because I was alerted by another friend of mine. Like, uh oh, he's talking about it on uh, on his Facebook page, and, mm-hmm. and and he was saying some things, and I said, well. I made a comment, and then I made a, a couple other follow-up ones. I, and I asked Adam first. I said, "Is it okay with you if I comment on this?" Because I think he was Matt was putting kind of his little bit of a. We disagreed, I think, on what those things were. Um, yeah, I think he put a spin on it. But on the final so, morning before we left, he he said, "Well, he said I know what these things are. These beings that came out of this portal." He said, uh, "He said I was visited." in a dream by one of the Sasquatch, uh, the juvenile one, I think, that talks to him, he says. And he said it, they said that they were guardians of this portal area and that they were just trying to keep us from, you know, sort of you and, you and Adam, you guys, from wandering into the portal. They were trying mm-hmm. to keep you from going in there. And that you were yeah. triggering it because you were hanging out in the back there, in the back of the camp. And I was like, well... <laughs> I said, you know, maybe he was told that, but if he was exactly told that, that 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 kind of troubles me. Well, it's interesting that you say that because 
an idea that I've been toying with for a while and based on a lot of um, anecdotal and circumstantial evidence, I guess, is a lot of these anomalous humanoids behave in such a way as if they are outcasts from humanity but wish they could come back. This whole peering into windows and, and lurking around and even taking people and some of the things that they do, it's almost as if they think they have a kinship, but they're not allowed to act on it. And when you look back into the folklore, you'll see in uh, uh, like the legends of, uh, that have to do with witchcraft, sorcery, demonology, many times a sorcerer or a witch or whatever who sells their soul, when the time comes, their life ends, and the, and, or, or the seven-year period ends, or whatever the deal was, and uh, Old Scratch comes to collect, right. he takes them, and yeah. then they have to serve, but they serve in a different form, mm-hmm. okay? So you have to wonder how many of these anomalous creatures may actually be not what people think they are in terms of, oh, an unknown hominid or, or whatever, but they may be in a physical form, but not what you think they are. They may be someone who basically is a damn soul. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. A, that's an interesting point. And, uh, which means that they're going to tell... Yeah. Which would mean that they would definitely spin things toward the point of view of, of their boss out of fear, if nothing else. Okay, But you think about the, the very famous uh, case that Nick Redford wrote about where the couple were hiking and they ran across a gigantic, scary Sasquatch and it spoke to them in their mind. But they said the thing that shocked them the most was it was a, it was a gentle woman's voice. Mm-hmm. And it was, but it was a male Sasquatch. Huh. Okay. Wow. That ties into the whole idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. all this stuff seems to be interconnected in some way. Interesting, uh, again, kind of going back to uh, some of my research and sort of my, I guess, my my Catholic bent that I have on this. Uh, I read a book by this guy, Adam Bly. Uh, he's a, uh, a peritus or authorized uh uh, guide uh, authorized by the Catholic Church to work with uh, the priests uh, with exorcisms. He's uh, although he's, he's one of the few laymen that are are authorized to do so. And he wrote a book uh, about this stuff. And he said, basically, he said there are only this is again from the Christian perspective. He said there are only uh, human souls. There are damned souls. There's holy angels. There's fallen angels, and and then the, and there's the holy trinity. Um, and he said that that's it. He said so. Anything that is not that is 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 something that's either damned soul or demonic. That is that is taking whatever form that it needs to in order to engender sympathy or interaction. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah. Or it's sent on, on a mission. You know, it's kind of like the whole Mothman thing. Everybody has all these theories about Mothman. He's a por- he's a portent. He's an omen. Well, actually, and I know Tim's heard me say this before, and I wrote about this too, that 
Mothman is identical in the way he's described as a an ancient Sumerian and a Syrio Assyro Babylonian demon called the Utuku. And the Utuku would take a physical form, come out of the underworld, and it would collect the sacrifices to the gods of the underworld. So basically what it would collect would be like the sweet meats, probably like the, the liver, the heart, the lungs, things like that. Well, you know, um, Mothman was seen, uh, supposedly uh, got after a dog, and then later a dog, he was seen with a dead dog on the side of the road, and he picked it up and carried it off. You know, you think about this, we don't sacrifice to the gods of the underworld anymore, to the demons anymore. But they may still require certain raw materials in order to create the bodies that they use to manifest. Okay? So they're going to pick the, the, the parts of the body that have the most, for instance, the most stem cells, okay? Um, it's just something to think about because yeah, yeah. ultimately he showed up at a great event where a whole bunch of people got killed as in a sacrifice and then he wasn't seen anymore. So, you know, yeah. people, this is all demonology and, you know, even uh, Kiel said that. You know, he said that ufology is just another name for demonology. Yes. So, same stuff. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And the the question, I guess, uh, is whether these beings were uh, in any way associated with the Bigfoot. Um, Matt Johnson's very insistent that they are. I said, said, I'm not saying that they're not. They're in the same place, but I don't know. I didn't, neither Adam or I I got that sense of uh, of evil. From the Bigfoot, which we right. definitely feel we're on the perimeter of the camp, but you know, but you know that that would up. that would that could be because if the Bigfoot beings are actually damn souls, human souls, mm-hmm. you, you're not going to get the same feeling of pure evil from them, even if they're cursed, damned, in, uh-huh. in big trouble. Yeah. You can, it's, that you're going to get from something from the pit of hell. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because something that's totally, totally, and the antithesis of what is good. You know, totally against God, totally against man. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. In its very nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we definitely we we felt that, and uh, but you know he's he's been in his interviews and on his blog and his Facebook page, he's been, Matt's been saying, like, oh, they're, they're friendly guardians and, you know, kind of describing them as being looking like Ewoks and <laughs> from Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, you know what, I'm sorry, but that's that's really kind of irritating me because that's not, was not my experience, or, or Adam's, he and I are in agreement. And we were, we were the ones who were up all night with these things. And, you know, and that's the other point. It wasn't like it was some fleeting glimpse of something that could have been a, raccoon or, you know, forest animal, we were within, you know, 100 feet of each other for, you know, two nights in a row between 2.30 in the morning and dawn, you know, and, and we, we saw these things and kind of, we were there fending them off, and they were not, they were nothing nice about them, I really don't believe so, it might just be our perspective, but... Yeah, well, you you have to pay you have to pay attention. (laughs) You have to pay attention to that gut instinct, though. You know, when you're faced with a situation like that, you know, I mean, if 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 they were acting aggressively towards you and you felt 
that aggressiveness in the you know in the air, then yeah. you know you got to pay attention to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think he wrote like, oh well, somebody asked about that because we talked about that on Tim's show, and uh, and he, he and somebody asked him, and he said, oh, it was just a bluff charge, and they stopped like twenty feet down the road, and like well, as if you, as if you you're dealing with when like. That <laughs> You know, as if you're dealing with chimps, gorillas, or something. Yeah, no, a I bluff don't think charge. A bluff charge. I mean, they were a bluff charge. With and they got within ten feet of us. Hmm. You know? yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it definitely seemed like a very charges. aggressive move. Yeah. And so they basically came into our our reality from another dimension to do a bluff charge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, the other thing that that's weighed on my mind too is that um, to. Um, the first two nights we went to bed earlier, these things showed up at 2.30 a.m. on the second and uh, the third and fourth nights. So I don't know if they were they were there the first two nights after we went to bed. That's kind of a disconcerting thought. <laughs> so, and if so, what, what are they? Uh, what, what more might have they been doing? So trying to well, figure. I mean, yeah, at protection of any kind. You know, whether it was a Bible or. Or steel or whatever, trying to figure out what they could get away with, probably. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have anything like that with me. If I ever did this again, I would, but mm-hmm. not that I'm going yeah. there again. But, <laughs> but uh, if I went out to the woods with that intention or anywhere, really, I think I would. I would have a crucifix with me and maybe, you know, yeah. maybe my pocket. Get your cold steel machete. Yeah, there you yeah. Go. <laughs> Well, uh, gentlemen, unfortunately, uh, um, it is time for us to to wrap this up. So right. I, I I want to give you, uh, John, a chance to uh, uh, for you to let our audience know where they can uh, uh, find your website and uh, okay. anything else about you that you know, that that you want to talk about. <laughs> I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know what? I, I understand that people. Uh, who hear this sort of thing, it's a crazy story, uh, but there's so many regular, normal people have these kind of uh, these experiences and they're not, they're not nuts, and I don't think they're, they're not misinterpreting what they're seeing I mean, in some cases they certainly are and, um, but um, and that's what I those are the stories I'm interested in that's what I write about, and and I'm starting my blog again. I'm kind of rebooting it after several years of it being dormant. So uh, the blog can be found at um, paranormalist.com, just paranormalist.com. And I just kind of rebooted the site, although I haven't done anything with the design, so it's kind of plain looking right now. But it will work on your mobile phone or your tablet and you know, so it's uh, so I'm uh, outside of that. No, haven't written any books yet. I, I might. <laughs> well, uh, I, we definitely need to wrap here, Mike. Your uh, okay. uh, your phone connection is starting to starting to leave us here. So, uh, All right, man. Okay. <laughs> I'll right. go. Ahead, I'll go ahead and uh, send us out here. So, John, appreciate it. Uh, come back Thanks, again uh, really soon. Sure, and. All right, so for everyone out there, this is Tim Swartz uh, with Mike Mott. You've been listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Please join us again next week where I'm sure we'll have another fascinating program. So from all of us, good night and take care. <laughs>